0: Welcome to Life Tips, the show that offers expert tips and savvy advice to make life easier and more fun on the web and around the world. Life Tips president Byron White talks to the latest trendsetters about strategies to grow your business. Editor Melanie Mayer interviews celebrities and expert writers on their tips for making life enjoyable and entertaining. Now, please welcome this week's Life Tips host, Byron White
1: welcome everyone to the latest weekly radio show I'm here today with dr. Ivan Misner and I hope I pronounced that right Ivan did I catch that right ah, close enough it's Meisner Meisner okay well I had a 50/50 shot there didn't I <laughs> um, let's see so uh, you are the author of nine books uh, which I'm're excited to talk about one of your most recent books today called the masters of sales yes. um, which is exciting and um Let's chime right in and learn a little bit about your about the book and some of the people that you interviewed for the book, which is quite a quite a roster, I might add. Includes Martha Stewart, um, Zig Ziglar, um, uh, and and Brian Tracy, and lots of other interesting people. Right, Uh, Tony Hopkins. Thanks uh, thanks for joining us. uh, Tell us a little bit about the book and and putting it together. Contributors, you there?
0: Yep did you hear Did you hear what I said?
1: No, I didn't.
0: Oh I said uh, yeah we have some great contributors like uh Tommy Hopkins Jack Canfield Tony Robbins uh Harvey McKay uh Really, really got some uh, great people with experience in sales to contribute to this book, as well as many other people who, you know, you wouldn't recognize their name, but they're out there where the rubber meets the road every day selling, and they are experts in their own
1: right. Now, this is, must be quite an honor to interview this celebrity cast. Of course, you're amongst this celebrity cast, I might add, <laughs> with, with, with the author of nine books. But did you physically interview all, all these people in, in one-on-ones, well, ta- or how did it I- work?
0: I talked to many of them uh, most of these actually uh, mo- most of the big names are not interviews. There are interviews about some other people. Most of these people actually contributed a piece themselves uh, where they either wrote a piece for the book or they allowed something that they had been written that had been written to uh, do for the book. but people like Jack Canfield and Tommy Hopkins wrote something specifically for for the book
1: now. Being a, a, a bit of a, a publisher, I'm curious, and, I, and I'm famous, of course, for asking the difficult questions. But, <laughs> but from a, from a revenue perspective, with these book sales, I'm curious: Are, are you being the author and the name on the byline? Are you the, the the revenue generator for for any book sales, or does this get split up amongst all of these authors?
0: Well, in some cases, uh, some of the big names, uh, it, generally speaking, the answer to your questions, know that it doesn't get split up. Uh, some of the big names, though, uh, do get a, you know, it, I got to call it a stipend uh, for the use of, of their material, uh, you know, literally a couple hundred dollars. It's, it's a small number um, that publishers require for copyright purposes and just to process the paperwork to make sure that the copyright of their material is, is protected. Uh, but for the most part, no. Uh, you know, and many of these people, like uh, Tony Robbins uh, is a great example, and Jack Canfield, um, Tommy Hopkins, they just contributed it. You no, know, uh, Brian Tracy, they didn't request even a stipend. Um, I mean, a lot of these people really walk the talk. They, you know, they talk about success and they talk about sales, and they're willing to contribute to something like this uh, at no cost, really.
1: Mm, interesting. Now, tell us a, a little bit about... Um, the you know the the takeaways of what what nuggets and there are so many it's probably hard to even begin but as you strip down the sales uh you know uh, analysis of, of of a sales professional and how this book might help them transform their sales career what do you what do you think about what comes top of mind with with that very difficult challenge of, of betterment of your sales career Well,
0: I I think, uh, first of all, the book was written for anyone who sells a product or service. And so it's not just aimed at salespeople. And It's important to say that because, um, you know, when I talk to audiences, I I ask business audiences, entrepreneurs, how many of you out there um, sell some type of service or some type of product, and virtually every hand goes up. So most people in business sell. Whether they're a lawyer, they're selling their services or a CPA to, you know, someone who's doing long-distance phone services. So um, almost all business people sell, and we really try to write this book with that in mind, that this isn't just at the New York Life insurance agent, who you'd think of as a salesperson, but it's also uh, uh, written for the CPA and... uh, chiropractor who have to sell their products or services or in their case their services to people as well and i think to answer your question specifically the thing that we really that we really focus on throughout the book is the importance of relationship selling that that the world has changed that people are a little more savvy today than they were uh... ten twenty years ago i remember the first sales seminar i gave and most of it was really about techniques you know how do you do specific techniques to close the sale and much of this book really isn't about specific techniques although there are many in there a lot of it is about how do you develop the relationship selling process how do you get to know people so that they trust you and do business with you because people love to buy but they hate to be sold to, and we really talk a lot about that. And people have a bad attitude about you know, what a salesperson is. I don't know if you saw in the opening of the book, I love this. It's a song that was yeah. written by uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Stephen Josephs, uh, and his associate Bill Joyner. And just the first, just the first couple of lines hyster- are hysterical because it really gives the impression of what, sa- what people think of salespeople. Mm-hmm. Or people who sell. And, and the name of the song is You Can Lie to a Salesman. The, the, just the first couple lines are, you can lie to a salesman and still get to heaven. Request their pr- pr- proposals and make them dance. Because a salesman will trick you and take your money. If you lie to them first, they never get the chance. And I think that's a great example of what people think of sales. And what mm-hmm. we try to do in this book is is teach people how to sell without Selling, teaching, teaching them how to build relationships to provide products and services.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, I've been in the sales world and, and have had opportunities to be directors of sales for organizations, and have had extensive training, uh, you know, opportunity and in trying to motivate and excite salespeople. It, it, it's a really tough job to do, no question about it. But I have, I have something I want to throw at you, and I want to see how you respond to it because I think it'll be interesting for everybody. You know, it seems to me that. That, that let's call them sales motivators, sales consultants, are re-spinning the same things over and over and over and over again? Is it me? or I mean, I feel like even I myself, when I leave my weekly sales meetings, am re-spinning the same things over and over and over again. Is there anything fresh that's out in the new sales world that's, that's incredibly insightful or innovative?
0: I, yeah, I think that I think you see a uh, movement, but it's it's a slow process. It's almost like waves. You know, sure, surely there are. Uh, you know, the tide comes in gradually, and new ideas evolve gradually. Right. Uh, the, you know, the, certainly the idea of relationship selling is not new, but uh, the, the the emphasis on it to, with almost every expert today is is 180 degrees away from where it was uh, ten twenty years ago. Ten twenty years ago. Uh, you know people were talking about relationship selling, and that was kind of a fringe process. Uh, the real focus was on techniques you know how do you close that deal? closing the deal is the big thing right and right. Um, and, and today it 's really much more about relationship selling, which is actually the reason that I w- was involved in this book because my background's in in networking, business networking, referral marketing and My interest in doing this book, I founded an organization called BNI, which is the largest referral network in the world, and and my emphasis on this was seeing how relationship selling has become so important in the networking process that it's become, really, to a large extent, pretty close to mainstream in the process of selling. So I think it's a gradual thing as opposed to some new
1: epiphany that people have about the sales process. Now... Tell us a little bit about the new age of, of, of sales and communication, namely email, right? Um, yeah. what, what are you seeing as, as, uh, in, in the email communication world where we've almost shut off answering phones and almost, almost rely upon being, quote, sold to via the email process? What, yeah. what are you seeing in that area that's, that's, that's traction?
0: Well, I think, uh, you know, email and spamming has become, you know, the new junk mail. Uh, you you uh, There was a time when salespeople would send out, uh, you know, through the U.S. mail uh, all of their offers and offerings, and now it's very easy to do it through, uh, through email. The problem with it is that the consumer has become very sophisticated, of course, and has uh, created spam filters to spam uh, to, to filter out most of the spam that comes in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, even when you're talking about email, it still is uh, part, I think, of the relationship process. That you, as you get people who are interested in your products or services, you have them opt in to uh, communication that you give. Now, you're sending communication to you know, the converted, people that want to get that information. And mm-hmm. in that case, email can be very powerful because if you're communicating with people who want that information, then you're, you're absolutely absolutely communicating to the right people. Uh, mm-hmm. Sending uh, emails to people that have no interest is, it's, it's, you know, it's like the old, I don't know, did you used to do bulk mailing as a salesperson? Mm-hmm. I did. Right? right. You know, you get 1%, 2%. Mm-hmm. Well, in spam, it's less than that. Because, uh, you know, you can send it out to hundreds of thousands of people, but uh, it's a very small percentage that actually gets through to people. I don't think it's effective unless you're communicating with people who've agreed
1: that they want to get your information. We had a fascinating sales meeting today, and and, and what an incredible opportunity to run by you some of our observations on email communication.
0: Yeah. um, Because I'd
1: love to get your thoughts on it to see what you think. So, Basically, I had, I had all of the sales reps put together a hierarchical uh, um, uh, um, sort of printout of all the communication that they had with one of the clients that they had done business with, right? Okay. So, you know, funneling down through the track. And what we found was fascinating. It was it was amazing to me that we've never done an exercise this. I think there's a huge opportunity out there, and I'm I'm hoping you're going to write a book on this next, and maybe maybe we can co-author it. But I mean, and I would uh, I would be honored to do that. But so we did an analysis, and and basically we learned that emails in general were were way too long-winded. They were they were often choppy or rambling on. They were not getting to the point fast enough. Um, they, they were they were often repetitious. You know, a rep would, you know, encourage them. You know, are you ready to sign up? You know, or is this going to move forward? They were going at the money juggler. You know, and right. and, and um, you know, on and on and on. I could uh, list some other observations, <clears throat> um, but staggering to me, I think that we are not doing a very good job <clears throat> of of really understanding the power of email communications in today's marketplace and how it's replacing the phone in many cases for building a rapport, for building a relationship. And I view it as a real tragedy. There's a real void there. What are your thoughts on this?
0: Well, I think email is a great way to maintain a relationship, I'm not sure it's the best way to create a relationship. Um, you know, you, it, It's one way, I should say, of um, maintaining a relationship. The more touch points that you have with a client or prospective client, the better. Um, but it, 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 it's just not going to, as a rule, uh, unless you're selling a commodity, something that's based solely on price, mm-hmm. service doesn't matter if you're if you're going that route then the spam process may work for you but um if you're really selling a service along with your with your uh with whatever product you're providing then uh, it's got to be based on relationships because in the long run that's where you're going to get ongoing business with the client or that all uh powerful referral referral only comes really when there's a relationship uh at least on a regular basis and uh and, and so email can be good to help as a touch point, but it can't be the only way of connecting with uh, your clientele um, because they, it, it, it it just gets lost in the lost in the din of of uh, sound and and, and, and communication. You know, people are bombarded with. Uh, I, you know, you're talking about sending out emails. Uh, if you're sending it to specific people that you know, but one of the things we talk about in, in Masters of Sales is communicating effectively with people, understanding what their what their behavior profile is. Mm. Behavior profiling is nothing new. But if you're going to apply it to email, either create a communication that tries to touch upon all personality types uh, so that something engages them, or... Um, uh, or if you're able to determine you know what behavioral profile they have send different communication to different people um, Don Lyons and I uh, did a piece in Masters of Sales talking about um, gyms, which is based on behavior profiles, and understanding, you know, what motivates people. And that some people are um, stimulated by, uh, you know, uh, they're, they're the high drivers who will make a decision quickly, and they just want the facts and they want an executive summary. But then you have people that are very, uh, you know, high, steady, uh, compliant, which, which uh, Don calls pearls. They're patient and relational, uh, uh, patient and, and supportive, and they want, uh, you know, they don't want pressure. Uh, you have others that are detail oriented, and so if you send an email that's an executive summary, the detail oriented person is just going to pitch it.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So you got to aim, and I think that's the, you know, the communication's got to be aimed in the sales process at what their behavior profile is. I, mean, I remember seeing Don Don do seminars on this, and I remember her seeing him, uh, seeing her do a morning program where she was really explaining the different kinds of profiles and how you communicate differently to different people. And I'll be darned if at lunch of that morning, I see after she does this know, just half a day, this guy calls a client that he'd been trying to close for two months. And he used her behavior profile style in communicating with this client and over the phone closed the deal uh, while standing in line at the cafeteria at lunch. Mm. And so the way you communicate is more important, uh, you know, in terms of behavioral style than anything
1: else, whether it be through email or in personal contact or a letter. What do you – that was really interesting, by the way. And if people wanted to get more data and more information on behavioral profiling, wh- where could they find it in, in in the book, Masters of Sales and or some other places you might recommend
0: Um, There's an article in in, uh, Masters of Sales by Don Lyons and I, and it's uh, called The Gems of Selling or or something similar to that. Uh, It's on page 159. Knowing Your Gems uh, Leads to masterful, Masterful Selling, and Don Lyons' contact information is in there. Don does training for the Referral Institute. And one of the programs that Referral Institute does is uh, seminars in understanding behavioral profiles and how to read somebody fairly quickly so that you're communicating with them in a way that they uh, are receptive to and not one that creates clashes. But it's uh, around a, about page
1: 159 in Masters of Sales. Hmm. Now, what are, what are some of, in, in your opinion, what, what are some of the easiest ways to change behavior? and to recognize poor behavior you may have in, in your sales uh, process <clears throat> and to to rectify that behavior? How do you identify well, it and fix it?
0: It, it? First and foremost is look at the experts in your field. It, it, it always amazes me, or, you know, the experts in, in the company that you're at model the behavior that's working for the majority of people. Um, I see sales teams who constantly, you know, they'll, they'll, there's a, a, a top, and there's always one, salesman that maybe is a little different than everyone else and he's still successful but the majority of them use you know two or three approaches that really work for them and they sell a lot and then you have all these other people that are constantly trying to reinvent the wheel mm-hmm. it's like well I can't do that or that's not for me or maybe that just works for him and so what do they do they go out and they try and sell in a different way using a different process and it doesn't work and it's not a surprise so
1: the real answer is
0: model um, model good behavior. I've got a, a hysterical story in um, in the book um, that, based on an experience that I had in Maui, where um, and, and it it has nothing to directly to do with sales, but it's all about selling in a way. I was in Maui and I got hit by a man o' war jellyfish. Okay, Portuguese man o' war, very poisonous. I walk out. I've got these big streaks across my chest. I walk up to some cabana boy, and and this is in Masters of Sales. And I say, hey, I think I just got hit by a Portuguese man of war He looks at my chest. He goes, yeah, yeah, looks looks like a Portuguese man of war He says, uh, how's your heart? How's your chest? Any any pain? I said, no, I feel fine. He said, all right, just go into the store there. You'll see a bottle of Adolf's Meat Tenderizer. Buy that and some vinegar. Powder your chest up. Spray the vinegar on. Rub it all in. You'll be fine. I'm like, yeah, right, okay. I, I, you know, this guy's joking with me, right? He's a cabana boy. What What's he know? So I go up to somebody else. Some guy sell, uh, ser- serving drinks, and I ask him, I said, hey, I think I just got hit by a Portuguese man of war. He looks at me and says, how are you feeling? Any chest pains? <laughs> no, I'm fine. He said, all right, we'll just go down to the store right here on the corner and get some Adolf's Meat tenderizer and some vinegar and rub it in. You'll be fine. I'm thinking, all right, these guys had a meeting on how to goof with the tourist, right? <laughs> And, and so I'm going to find somebody with authority. I go up to the manager. I ask the manager. Hey, I think he just got hit by a Portuguese man of war He looks at my chest. Yeah, you know, it looks like a Portuguese man of war He said, do you have any chest pains? He said, no, no chest pains. He said, all right, we'll just go down here, down the hall, and there's a little market. And I, said, I got the story. So I went down and get it, but by the time I got there, I started having chest pains. My, and I couldn't breathe, and it was like somebody was jumping up and down my chest. And I stumbled back to the front desk, fall flat on the floor in the lobby. So there's this, you know, I'm not a small guy. There's this you know, guy in a bathing suit lying on the floor of a very nice hotel right there in the lobby. People are carrying luggage over me. Some little boy is pointing at me saying, look, Mommy, there's a you know, man on the floor. It's like, don't do drugs, son. That's what happens. And all these, all these people think I'm drunk or something. They call the paramedics. Paramedics show up. They pull out this box. I think they're going to have a defibrillator. No, you know what they have? A bottle of Adolf's meat tenderizer and, a, and, and vinegar. And they powder me up and spray me down like I'm for a, you know going to be barbecued. And unbelievably, it worked immediately. Immediately, the, the Adolph's has uh, uh, chemicals in it that counteract the, the toxins of the um, uh, Portuguese man of war, and the vinegar acts as the a mechanism to carry it into the bloodstream. Mm. Now, how does that apply to sales? We constantly hear experts, people who are in the field doing the job every day, tell us what to do to be successful, and we don't believe them because we know better.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I had a college degree. I'm a PhD. What do these guys know, right? Well, they knew how to fix an attack from a Portuguese man-of-war, and had I paid attention to them, I wouldn't have had a big ambulance bill, mm-hmm. uh, like I did, a paramedics bill, like I did. Mm-hmm. And it happens all the time in business, and it happens all the time in sales. People try to reinvent the wheel, rather than to pay attention to those who are in a position of knowing. And that's what Masters of Sales is all about, is it's got you know, almost 80 experts in sales
1: telling us what to do step-by-step. Step. Do you Do you think that there's a... A, a, a formula for creating sales success. Well, I, you know, I think there's it a formula can be learned, for creating success or it's taught. Uh,
0: the formula for success, to me, is is simple: good choices and hard work. Good choices and hard work makes one successful. Uh, the predecessor to this book, "Masters of Success," the predecessor to "Masters of Sales." And is masters of success, and, and we asked uh, experts from all over the world the same kinds of names. You know what's it take to be successful, and and the answers were always the same, always the same. Success is about uh, you know creating a vision, having goals, a system, being able to deal with adversity, uh, being passionate and motivated. Uh, it's always the same. And, and as a matter of fact, if, you know, I, I taught at a university and I asked college students, you know, what's the secret to success? And you know what they'd say is besides beer? is they'd say you know, uh, motivation, uh, vision, goals. I mean, they knew what it took to be successful too. So if we all know what it takes to be successful, and we really do, and we, we know that you have to be passionate about it. You have to have a system. You have to have goals. You have to, be, you have, to uh, have people skills. If we all know what it takes to be successful, then why is it that we're not as successful as we want to be? Not, not all of us are as successful as we might want to be. And I think the reason for that is that it's the uncommon application of common knowledge. And that applies to masters of sales. That Most of what it takes to be successful, there is common knowledge out there. And it may vary a little from profession to profession. And salespeople in one industry it may take a certain, you know, something different. But that knowledge is there. And by tapping into it, Um, that's the way to be successful, trying to reinvent the wheel and and come up with our own processes before we understand the systems that have worked. Uh, is just ludicrous, but it happens all the time with salespeople because their personality types are such that they don't like to take direction.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Would you choose, if you had to choose any of the following characteristics, which would you choose over the other? and why passion versus hard work
0: well that's interesting um i think passion is probably the most important thing there is in in being successful but that doesn't necessarily preclude hard work oftentimes people who are passionate about something will work hard but they're passionate about it so i think uh overall passion it was uh vince lombardi who once said i'd rather have a a player who has 50% ability and 100% passion than a player with 100% ability and 50% passion mm. because because i can teach the guy with 50% ability how to do something i can create a system around him that he has the opportunity to be his his best i can't teach the guy with 100% uh, passion to be—I mean—with 100% ability to be passionate, uh, he'll be out there waltzing around the field one day instead of doing what he's supposed to be doing where he's supposed to be doing it. So I'd rather have somebody with 100% passion and 50% ability than 50% ability and 100% passion. Vince Lombardi Jr. said, uh, Vince Lombardi said that, and uh, and I agree. So passion versus hard work. Although secret to success without hard work, I think is
1: still a secret. How about hard work ethic versus networking skill?
0: Well, you, you, you say these as though they're mutually exclusive.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, they often you, are. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure they. I'm not sure they are. Um, <laughs> networking skill to me is very important, but so is a work ethic. Uh, I don't see how um, they are necessarily uh, mutually exclusive. Uh, without the work ethic, your networking really isn't going to be very successful, is it? Yeah. I mean, if if you just uh, if you're just socializing. If your networking is just out there to meet and greet, not not really with a purpose, um, it's not going to have any success at all. So the work ethic, I think, is key. And, and I'm, I'm, you know, I run the world's largest networking organization, but I can tell you that without a work ethic, the networking is not going to do you any good.
1: Hmm. <clears throat> we often are asked, um, you know, uh, you know about, and and have had to, you know address the challenges of, of, of cold calling, right? Yeah, yeah. How many calls should I should a rep make in the course of a day? You know, why is it important to hit your goals? What are your thoughts on cold calling in general?
0: I think it's the worst possible way to have to build a business. Now, can you be successful at it? Absolutely. You know how I know? I used to train salespeople how to cold call. Uh, you can absolutely um, build a business or be successful as a salesperson, cold calling. I just did it long enough to know that I don't want to ever do it again for the rest of my life. It's, it was a horrible way for me to uh, build a business, and I think there are much, much, much better ways to build a business than cold calling. Now, you know, when you're new in, in a sales position and you don't have a large personal network or professional network, um, you may have to cold call. For a while, but um, I think I think most businesses really miss the boat in training people how to sell because they focus so much on the cold calling aspect that they forget to, to measure networking activity. And it, it, you can, you know, I think you would agree that you can measure um, the cold calling process. You, you can know that if you make X number of cold calls, you're going to get through to Y number of people, and and you'll close the Z number of deals, right? Correct?
1: Very much so. Yeah.
0: So why can't you do that with your networking efforts? The answer is you can There's no reason why you can't measure certain activities to determine uh, your success through the networking process instead of how many times did you pick up the phone and call somebody or how many doors did you knock on. Uh, you ask uh, other questions. How, how many touch points did you make this this uh, week? How many times did you connect with someone individually or, or, you know, through a letter? How many networking meetings did you go to? How many people did you have a meaningful conversation with? How many thank you notes did you send? These are ways of measuring your networking or your relationship selling process. And I think in the long run uh, is a much better way to build business. So what I think corporate America needs to be doing is training people not only on cold calls, but on the relationship selling process, and measuring both of those in in um, in in how they gauge the the success of their salespeople. Here's let me just add one other thing to it. Met a guy, a senior senior executive with. Royal Bank of Scotland. When I was in London, one of the senior execs, and he, Royal Bank of Scotland has a lot of uh, their development officers, their business officers, um, in chapters of BNI, which is a referral organization. Now, talk about a change in strategy. He doesn't. He goes to these uh, management meetings, and he he doesn't ask them what their cold call pitch is. You know what he asks them? Give me your sixty second introduction. When you're in a networking meeting, I want to hear what you're telling the members of your networking group. What is it you say about your business in 60 seconds? 60 seconds. So he's not measuring cold call uh, script. He's measuring networking scripts. He's evaluating networking scripts. It's a whole different mindset in sales management, in in managing employees. And that's the kind of thing that we need to move towards.
1: What What are your thoughts on on on, uh, on measurement of, of, uh, of, of, let's say, networking skill and or, um, even better, the measurement of how deep your relationship is with a prospect customer. You feel you that you can measure that?
0: Achieve, you can't achieve what you don't measure, so you need to measure things uh, in order to have a sense of where you stand in the relationship. Um it, let's let's talk about your clients. You know, where do you stand with your clients in terms of uh, the sales process and the networking process? I, I recommend you take a look at what I call uh, the VCP process. I've talked about it in many of my books and writings. VCP it stands for visibility, credibility, profitability, and it's where you are in your relationship with this individual from a referral perspective. That is, uh, you know, what are the chances of them giving you a referral? Well, anyone who's at um, visibility. When you're at visibility with somebody, they know who you are. They may or may not know much about what you do, but they would recognize you at a meeting or they'd recognize your name. You're clearly not at a place where you're going to be getting referrals from them. Second level is credibility. Credibility. You know, where are you in the relationship with this person? You're at credibility. That is, they believe you are capable of doing a good job. They've heard other people talk about you. They maybe have actually used your services, so you're, you're actually at cre- uh, you know, credibility because they know you are good at what you do, but they're not giving you a lot of referrals or any referrals. Third level is profitability, and that's where you are at, at the stage of a relationship with someone where they know you're good, they know who you are, they know you're good, and they're actually giving you referrals. And so you're at a profitability stage in the process. Now, ironically, many salespeople and business people think that all of their clients are at profitability with them. Now we're talking about refer- a referral relationship. The truth is, most uh, salespeople and business people, their clients are not at profitability. They may be making money from them individually, but you know, are the majority of your clients giving you referrals on a regular basis? If not, you're only at credibility with them. Because they know you're good because they keep buying from you but they're not referring anyone to you so your original question was how do you kind of measure this and what i recommend is you sit down if you are selling a product or a service or if you're a healthcare professional you're a chiropractor you sit down with your database and you say where am i with my contacts am i at visibility with this person they know who i am but i've not established credibility yet am i at credibility which case most of their customers, clients, and patients actually fall into, or am I at profitability with them where they know who I am, they know I'm credible, and they're actually giving me referrals uh, regularly. Now, we talked about communication earlier. Maybe the kind of communication that you give to people should be based on where they are at in that process. If you shotgun it and you send the same communication to all three, you you're not going it's not going to do your worth any good. you got to send you know, targeted information depending on
1: where you're at in the relationship. Does that make sense? It does indeed. Tell me your, your, your thoughts on, on the challenges and, and tips on motivating the decision-making process and hopefully the and affirmative decision-making process. How do you motivate the, the, the sales process? Do you mean from the salesperson or the person that you're selling to? The person you're selling to how do you how do you bring people down through the funnel and and what are tips on doing that
0: to me in the approach that I've used and you'll see this a great deal in the in the book I mean there's a lot of uh, different approaches to, to closing the deal but it really comes down to um, I believe uh, having the prospective buyer understand that this is a product or service uh, that will Truly help them. I have always believed in consultative sales. That is, I'm here to solve a problem for you, and and so everything I think the most successful salespeople um, do should be in solving that problem. Now, I, I, you know, you're getting to the end point, and there's a whole lot that hap- has to happen before that. And for me, when I was a management consultant, and, and you know, as a management consultant, if if, if you think I didn't sell you crazy because i had to sell my expertise and one of the best ways i sold my expertise was not to sell somebody on you know hiring me as a consultant but to help them in some way by giving them advice along the way in many in, in many cases it may not be advice that um that would involve me directly. It might be a referral to an expert in another area so that I establish a level of credibility with them that they know that I'm, out, I'm, I'm willing to look out for their best interest. When you get to the point with a customer or client or patient where they truly believe that you're looking out for their best interest, the close is the easy part. And that's what relationship selling is all about. That's what good networking is all about. I believe you can network anywhere, anytime, place, if you just understand two things. You have to first honor the event, and second, you have to be willing, your goal should be to help other people. So if your goal is to help other people, you're building trust and relationships. You build trust and relationships, and closing the deal is easy. It's actually the
1: easiest part of the process. Tell, tell me about, yeah. Maybe you had another thought on on top of that
0: well it 's the easiest part of the process, but it is the, but it 's a long term way of doing business and that 's why corporate america doesn 't do this because corporate america is looking for the get rich quick scheme let 's close the deal now. What did you do today? What did you do this week? What did you do in sales this month? And so, as long as big companies continue to train people on exclusively on the cold calling process, it's totally short term. The kind of training that that uh, I recommend that people uh, go through is absolutely more long term. It it absolutely takes longer to build that relationship. But the but in the long run, you know, I, I think uh, relationship selling is more about farming than it is about hunting. So it takes longer to get there but when you get there you yield bushels of results if sales to is about hunting you basically eat what you kill that day and tomorrow it starts all over again from scratch
1: <laughs> um we don't have time for too many questions really appreciated your time today but i just want to get a get your quick take on what i refer to as the assessment of a prospect customer and, and the challenge of determining when you may be wasting your time and, and, and if you will be resorting to too much selling and not enough listening and, and being more willing to walk away from an inability to solve a problem. Yeah, and, and I'm, not, I'm not sure I understand the question in that. The question is, so how, tell me a little bit about your take on the assessment of a prospect. When do you know it's, it's time to move on and be efficient with your time?
0: Well, you see, most in the process that, that uh, I recommend mostly is is getting prospects through referrals. And so generally, if you've got a referral, you know you've got uh, a prospect that has some interest. Where it's problematic and where you're going to um, have challenges is if that referral comes from a cold call or if that business comes from a cold call or it comes from an advertisement, then, uh, then it's a lot more difficult uh, to... To make that assessment, because there is no relationship, you you are walking into the prospect not at even visibility. You're basically walking in a pre visibility. You've never met, and now you're trying to close the deal. Is it any wonder that that's difficult? So my and and here's where it seems counterintuitive. It's like telling a, you know it's like telling a boxer to lean into the punch. It doesn't. It sounds counterintuitive. Um, I when I met people that were cold, they really wasn't a good referral. I didn't try to sell them. I tried to assess what issues they had, what problems they had. And if they had an issue or a problem had nothing to do with me, I tried to put them in touch with people who could solve that problem. I became a problem solver rather than a salesman. You solve their problem, they're going to remember that. And when they need your product or service, they'll take your call or they'll, they'll, they'll call you. And that's a. It seems counterintuitive because salespeople are out there hunting, not farming. If you're farming, you're looking to solve people's problems, and and your product may not solve it. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense?
1: It does. It does. Um, if if you had to um, recommend one compelling reason why someone should buy your book, Masters of Sales, which hopefully people are intrigued to now, what what would it be?
0: I think. The the awesome
1: thing about this book is that it's got almost 80
0: experts. you know, And, and in a couple of cases, there may even be people who have a, a disagreement in the way the sales process is done. It gives a lot of information from a lot of different perspectives from a lot of successful people. And the way I look at it is I, I'm absolutely not going to live long enough to make every mistake I can possibly make. I'd like to avoid some of them, and the best way to avoid them is to listen to other experts. And we've got some great experts in this book, and that's why I think it is a good book for salespeople to read because you can pick out nuggets that really resonate
1: with you, and that you can run with. That was a well-rehearsed sixty-second pitch on your <laughs> book, by the way. <laughs> you know, I
0: appreciate you saying that, but you know what? This this is the first radio interview I've
1: done for the book because the book has oh, just that, come out. That's great. Lucky so. me. <laughs> Well, you've, you've had a, really a, a, an illustrious career here, and um, can you tell people how they might get a hold of you if they're interested in, in learning more about you as an individual or, or your networking organization?
0: Sure, yeah. I run an organization called BNI, Business Network International, and they can get information on that uh, by going to bni.com. Uh, last year we passed 4.9 million referrals, generated $1.9 billion worth of business for our members all around the world. Now, just so you know, $1.9 billion, that's the same as the gross domestic product for the country of Liechtenstein. <laughs> okay, it's a small country, I know, but it's still pretty cool that we could generate as much business as a small nation in the world. So BNI.com uh, for information on, on uh, the organization and the book. Uh, you can get information on it at mastersbooks Books, It's also available at Amazon and is just hitting the bookstores. This, uh, I think it just hit last week to the bookstores.
1: Well, Dr. Evan Meiser, really enjoyed having you on the show today. Thank, thank you again for joining us. And, My uh, pleasure. Anytime. Indeed. Thanks again uh, for your time. Appreciate it. And we'll farewell, everyone, until next week. All right. Take care.